0: Dear God, we thank you so much for a space like this where we can come together, and sometimes we take spaces like this for granted. Um, But here we are, gathered together to hear from you, not from me. We don't need me, we need you. We don't need more of ourselves, we just need more of you. So we ask that you speak to us. For those that have rolled in here discouraged, I pray that you would encourage them this morning. People that are searching, I pray that you'd help them see this morning, people that are In need of strength and feeling weak, I pray that they would experience your power made perfect in their weakness. You know each of our hearts, you know what we bring to this place, you know what we need. We just pray that and ask and say we're willing to let you break through our barriers and our distractions to make us more like Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen, amen. So we've been in this series in John chapter 15, taking a long, slow walk through one chapter of the Bible and looking at some very profound and important words Jesus says to his disciples. And um, it's, it's an invitation uh, that we have a choice to accept or not. That's what we talked about in the first week. The invitation is, is not just to follow and go, go serve. Those are the two we focus on most in church. This invitation is to slow down, is to abide, to remain in, to make your home with Jesus, to stew life with Jesus. I know that's a strange thing, uh, we get in these habits and play church a lot. It's a strange thing to think about what that might mean, especially in a place and a time where we are constantly going and doing stuff and racing around and live our lives at the demands of other people's expectations and a clock that won't stop ticking and a schedule that keeps getting filled up. It's a strange thing, but it's an absolutely necessary thing to slow down. And to learn that this isn't just playing church or doing religion. This is about a relationship with Jesus. To slow down enough, to remove our chaos and our clutter from the equation enough. To just see who this Jesus is and to learn to just be in relationship with him. Last week we talked about kind of the results of that. The fruit that we're all looking for. I'd rather have cake than fruit, but the fruit we talked about last week is really good fruit. It seems abstract when we talk about that fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit of God working in our lives, but really those are the things we need most. It's, it's what you're searching for if you rolled in here with a broken relationship on the front of your mind. It's, it's what you're looking for in a deep friendship with somebody who's always got your back. It's what... What we're constantly looking for is the stuff that God wants to give us an abundance of. It's this fruit that makes us rich in all the most important places. It makes us full in all the most important places. It makes us successful in all the most important places. And it's what he has for us as a result of just slowing down and doing life with him. Today I want to talk to you, the title of the message is called About Love. And I'm going to read to you just a few verses, 9 through 18, that's the part we're going to cover today, though it's so packed with good stuff, there's no way I can possibly get all of it into one hour and a half long message, but I will do my best. Ah, people are ready to throw stuff at me. Just kidding, I'll do my best to do it in 24 minutes, 53 seconds and counting. You guys didn't know I had a timer, did you? You never get to see that. Everybody's turn. <laughs> Shh, that's a secret. Don't turn around. Um, so, uh, so I want to read to you this passage, but just before I do, please know, like, if you are agnostic or atheistic or not, not sure what you believe, you don't have to believe to belong in this building and in this space. Um, we love you as you are. You're important to God. You're important to us. Even if you don't believe in him, we believe he loves you and is, uh, has something beautiful to offer you in your life, and, but that's okay, I'm not trying to convince you to jump from wherever you're at to where I am right now in this moment, but I am saying that because this is really important. This passage is written to people who have already said, I'll follow you, Jesus. And so you're kind of like for this week, these last couple of weeks, these next couple weeks, we're glad you're here. The coffee's okay. Grab some. Sit in. Listen. But you're kind of looking from the outside at a conversation that Jesus is having with his closest followers. For you, it should be about, who is this Jesus? Is he who he says he is? Should I follow him? But for those of you who have already said, I believe in Jesus and I'm following him, then the invitation for you is, will you abide? It's a choice. It says this in verse 9, it says, as the Father has loved me. I mean, there's just so, it's dropping so much, man, just like grand slam after grand slam in this passage. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That's just like mind-blowing to me. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love one another. I wanna talk to you about love. Do you know love is the most powerful motivator on the planet, did you know that? Have you ever experienced that? You ever done something really weird and maybe even a little embarrassing when you were in like that puppy love stage? Come on, I know some of you have gone to like concerts for people you didn't like because you were in love with the person who wanted to take you there on a date. You pretended food that was bad was good. Some of you are still faking that you like a certain meal You've been married like twenty-some years, right? And she still doesn't know you don't like her meatloaf because it's not because it's not like mom made it because love, right? Like because love, it'll make you do some crazy things. People just look at people who are in puppy love; they do some crazy and embarrassing things, and they don't care what you think about it, what anybody thinks about it, because oh, they're just in love. Love is one of those powerful and motivating things that can make people do incredible things and people will tra- swim a channel just to get love. It's the most powerful motivator. When I was in high school, I was a little, I wasn't as big as I am now, but I still was big. How many of you can say amen to that in your heads? In your head's not allowed, right? Like so. <laughs> and... Uh, we were working on finishing the attic. It was going to be some new bedrooms in the house I grew up in. And so my dad had rented a uh, sander, like a, one of those you push. And um, we were going to finish the floor and uh, he had a lot of work to do. Money was always tight in my house. We didn't grow up with a lot of money. And uh, so he had rented it, wanted to get the most out of it. So he'd ask me, like, hey, hey, when you get home from work, do you mind? Like, could you, I just want to get this floor sanded and get this thing out of here. Could you do some sanding upstairs in the attic? Usually I'm not a real fan of being told what to do, but I love my dad, and I love the idea that this room was going to be mine. So I, because of love, went up and started sanding the attic. But I also was in high school and up. Very late, most nights in the summer. You know, crocheting and like... <laughs> baking cupcakes and sending encouraging letters to, you know, old ladies and young kids who needed a mentor. Typical high school stuff, right? Like, in, So I was exhausted. I was up late, had worked all day, and the sun was beating through the window so beautifully, and it felt such a perfect temperature, up there, and it was like a cool afternoon, evening, and so I decided I was just going to take a nap, but I wasn't finished sanding, so I was just going to take a nap like right there. I grabbed a sweatshirt that I had up there in the attic, I tucked it under my head, and right there next to the sander, I lay down on the hard, dirty floor and was snoozing sound asleep. I woke up to screams. Josh, Josh, get up. Get up. What's wrong with you? Get up. Uh, Do you ever get woken up out of your sleep by somebody crazy? It's terrible. Yes. (laughs) Their name is Mom. Shh, don't tell anybody. (laughs) And uh. It's scary and disorienting and like, what is going on? I woke up to my mom who was a little lady. She was a tiny little lady just shaking me violently on the floor trying to wake me up. I didn't know what was going on. I thought, is the house on fire? What's, what's going on? So I spring up and I can't walk because my leg's asleep. So there I am trying to walk on a leg that's asleep. My little mom's got my arm. She's like hoisting all of my weight like works me down the other time. Like, mom, what's going on? But she's like in a frantic panic, and she gets me down the stairs, and sits me in the kitchen. And she's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "I was. That was okay. I was great. That was the best nap I've had in like forever." What is going on? And she's like, "I thought you were dead." Right, like. I don't know, she thought I was like breathing in fumes from something or somehow in her mind the mom panic button like was firmly pushed and she thought that I had passed out on the floor of the attic or or electrocuted myself or something and she was going to like hoist me down the steps and get me out of there. This little woman, you know, motivated by love. Moms know there's nothing that can stop you if your babies are hurt, right? Like, it's love. It's the greatest motivator that there is. And here in this passage, you have Jesus talking about love. And it's what motivates us. It's what should be motivating us, his followers. It's what everything should pour out of. We're not motivated by religious ritual. We should not be motivated by a sense of duty or obligation or to check some religious spiritual boxes so that we shouldn't be motivated because of what others think about us or serving makes me look good or like I have it all together when you're motivated by religious ritual, what will happen is eventually that ritual will just run empty, and you'll feel empty, and your faith will look empty to you. When your motivation is a sense of duty, I'm coming to church to check it off the box because I should be here, because I gotta go, because eventually that's gonna wear out and there will be other duties, that's such a funny word, that will distract you and pull you away. From your sense of duty here. Now I gotta stop saying it because I can't say it without smiling. If if you're if you're motivated just by checking boxes, somebody will add more boxes to your list. And you'll wear out. We should not be motivated because it feels inspiring or good in a moment or because we're superstitious or just a little stitious Because then it'll our faith is no more than like a rabbit's foot that we keep in our pocket, that we pull out when a kid gets sick or something bad's happening or I'm losing my job or I'm confused about a circumstance in life. I'm gonna I'm a pull my rabbit's foot out. I'm gonna rub the genie lamp and hope things change. We're not motivated by those things. If we're motivated by those things, we keep turning up empty. And maybe Somehow you've kind of slid into that part, that like pocket of Christianity. I don't even want to call it Christianity because it's not designed, it's not the design for what Christianity is supposed to be. And if you're just coming for church, if you're just coming to check it off the box, if you're no wonder the music doesn't hit, like no wonder. It doesn't really connect. No wonder it seems like it's not doing it for you. No wonder. The inspiration, I can inspire you for a moment. I can tell you a funny story. I can change my tone and my the pace of how I speak and slow down and get real soft or get real loud and, and intense. And I can I can tug on every emotional heartstring you have, and that will get you through till Monday. Maybe Tuesday. But it's empty. We're not supposed to be motivated by that stuff. We are motivated by something far greater. By the love that God has for us. That's what's different. That's why you see people cry if you're looking around during worship songs. Raise their hands. That's why the people that serve here serve. That's why I try to be generous. It's not because somehow I think it'll make me better in God's eyes or the eyes of other people. It's not because I'm trying to show off or look more spiritual or I think if I check this box and I check that box and I check that box, then someday when I die, maybe God will let me in because the good boxes will outweigh the bad box or I'll check enough of them off. That's not what motivates us. What's different about this faith, what's different for you to experience is this love of God. Now I want to invite you to stop attending church just to attend church. I want to invite you to stop searching for a little bit of inspiration from a speaker. I want to invite you to stop trying to check off boxes so you look more spiritual to the people around you. It's all, that's all fake and easily duplicated by anybody with a microphone and a cell phone on TikTok. I want to invite you to something. What, what Jesus is inviting you to is something real. It's the best. It's to experience his absolutely mind-blowing love for you. It's love, it's what makes it different. It's what makes us better than church. It's what makes our approach to God so special and so beautiful. It's why our peace is different. It's why our joy is different. It's his love which does not and will not ever disappoint. If you've, you could spend a lifetime in church and never get to know the love God has for you, people do it all the time. You could know verses and have them memorized and people could go to you to lead their little small group discussion on whatever topic you want and never really have experienced the love of God. This is love that makes it so different. And right here in the top, man, Jesus drops this one line that just, I almost didn't even preach the rest of the sermon because this one line threw me so hard this week as I was studying this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. What? Like, stop and consider the implications of what Jesus is saying right there in that passage to his followers. If it's the same love, That's mind-blowing to me, the same love that the Trinity shares with each other, the same love that preceded this planet and the creation of everything we know, the same love that has existed from eternity, that has birthed every other love out of it, the same love that has given light to the world, the same love that has created things like joy and happiness and all of the wonderful things that we could, the same love that the Father shares with the son. Perfect. Because he is perfect. Because they are perfect. The same love that the father sh- I'm sorry I'm shouting. This train wrecked me this week. It's the same love. He doesn't just love you a little or when you act okay. When you dress right, it doesn't just love you sometimes when you're not disappointing, when you're not an epic failure. It's this perfect, beautiful, crazy love. The same love the Father has for the Son, the Son has for you. It's perfect. You know what that means? It's not dependent on you. You don't get more of it by checking more boxes off. Nothing you could do could make God love you more because his love for you is already perfect. Nothing you could do could make God love you less because his love for you is perfect. Like, snuggle up to that for a second. Same love. Jesus drops his love bomb right there, right off the get-go. Like, my love... That love that he experienced from the Father is the same love that he passes on to you. It's unconditional. You can't change it. And all of a sudden, passages that are pretty famous but kind of glanced over like Romans 8 where it says nothing can separate you from the love of God, all of the sudden those start to make a little more sense. They become a little clearer. They get a little more real. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's not dependent on you. Not heaven or hell can separate you from the love of God. Not angels nor demons can separate you from the love of God. Not life nor death can separate you. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. Maybe you're gonna get sick of hearing me talk about his love. I don't care, because I don't think it's settled in quite yet to my heart. And if it hasn't quite settled all the way into my heart, maybe it's not settled all the way into your heart, maybe we could spend a lifetime just trying to understand and know and experience the love of God and never get to the bottom of it because it's just that deep. It's just that wide. It's just that big. So how can you sit here and think, maybe God doesn't love me. I know you got a because. Maybe your because is because they didn't. Maybe your because is because I did. I know you got to because, and we sit here and we hear these words, and I've done it too. I still do it. We think, ah, yeah, but I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy of it. I didn't deserve it. I- I'm too screwed up. I'm too broken. I-, I-, I hear these words of love, but I can never own it because it just can't, I don't know, it just can't apply to me. But if it was only you, it would apply. His love is not based on who you are. It's based on who he is. and he freely gives it. It's his love that is motivates us, and it's his love that really transform us, transforms us. you can alter behavior by working on the from the outside in. You could lose a few pounds and get a little stronger working from the outside in. But the true transformative stuff of your heart, the true stuff that transforms your relationships and your mindset and your spiritual walk and everything, it starts right here. It's transformative. We're used to people, uh, this next verse here, though, it kind of like throws a, wait, wait, is it conditional? When you read it, it kind of makes it sound like, you're talking about unconditional love, but this next verse, I, I want to make it kind of make sense to you and what Jesus is saying here. So it says, as my Father has loved you, or loved me, so I have loved you, now remain in my love. Remain in it. It's still there, it's always there. But it's an invitation that you have the freedom to choose to accept and experience or not. Somehow, in the beauty and the mystery of God, he is both sovereign and gives us this amazing thing called free will to have a choice It goes on and says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. It's not an ultimatum, but we often hear people saying things to us like an ultimatum. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Do you like to be told what to do? I don't like to be told what to do. And that's probably because I'm used to people telling me what to do with an angle. You ever know somebody like that? Don't look at anybody in the room, right? Like just keep your head straight forward looking at me. Somebody always seems to have an angle, like, do this, and, and somehow it's like a, they're playing an angle for themselves. Or, but not everybody has an angle when they tell you to do something. Like, sometimes I gotta tell my kids some hard things to do. It's not because I have an angle, it's actually because I want what's best for them. I want them to experience something better than maybe I experienced, or something more full. I want them to have way more than I had, experience way more joy than I experienced. I want them... To, to have everything, right? Like, this is not an ultimatum here. It's just a natural fact. You can't experience God's love if you're constantly running away from it. You can't experience His love if you're hiding from it. It's just common sense. You can't experience His love if you're trying to. Keep him in some little corner of your life. No wonder it doesn't spill over into everything. Here you have this kind of like Jesus is saying, I have this absolute incredible, mind blowing love for you to enjoy and to experience. My my angle is you. That's my angle. I don't need to get anything out of this, I don't need anything from you. He says it right here. I've told you these things so that you may have joy, complete joy. That's his angle. God's not trying to tell you some things to do so that he can ruin your life or make you boring or some kind of weird Christian who wears polo shirts with name tags and I don't know, do, I don't know if that's the thing. Jimmy, our executive pastor, was wearing a polo shirt. Made me think of it. So anyway, like, like, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna come downstairs soon and like be like, what? Um, that didn't give you a list of things, all these commands to like make your life miserable or get you out of touch with reality or to create some kind of like weird Christian clone. Like his angle. Is showing you a path to experience complete joy. That's it. His angle is you. His angle is you and your complete joy. I want to just show two pictures real quick. I've been trying to do this each week, two pictures. And the picture I want to show you is one of a good Pharisee and a woman with a rep there's a story told in John or Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. it starts this. "I'm going to have to do it really fast just for time's sake this morning, so I'm going to miss some stuff, but you can go back and check it out later this week. That would be an awesome thing to do, or maybe even this afternoon. One of the Pharisees, that's just a spiritual teacher or leader. when you hear that word, that's what that means. So you know, like pastor folk or clergy folk or whatever you want to say there, probably he probably fits into kind of like my realm of work more so than maybe what your realm of work. One of these Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Here, Jesus just chilling down at the table. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus, that's a sinful life, right? Like, isn't that interesting that that's how it defines her here? And to learn that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman this is, that she is a sinner. That's how he, like, sums up the entirety of her existence. Just a deafening blow to her identity. That's all he sees. Yeah, me too, but that's not all I am. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money. I love Jesus just picks this off right here in this moment. There's two people, they owed money. One owed a lot of money. Another owed a little bit of money. The person they owed the money to forgave both. And and the question Jesus proposed is which one will love him more? Simon thinks about it for a second and he he says, I suppose the one with the bigger debts who have been forgiven will love him more. And Jesus said, you've judged correctly. you see this woman, I came into your house, you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. And we all said, ill, it's a little ill. And Verse 46, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as, gr- as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. He goes on and he says to her, your faith has saved you, go in peace. You have two pictures here, you have a good Pharisee. He invited Jesus to his home, he sat down with him but he was motivated by religion. That was his jam. And so Jesus, he invited in, but he kept at a distance. Jesus was there in his house, but he was uncertain about him. He was curious, but he was still missing out. He didn't do what was custom of the day to provide a opportunity for Jesus' feet to be washed. They wore Borten stocks all day and were filthy. Like when you came into somebody's house to eat, that's what the tradition was. He didn't greet him with love, just kept him at a distance. You have a good Pharisee that was missing it. He was all caught up in all of these other motivating factors. He wasn't, he wasn't seeking the love of this Jesus. He wasn't experiencing the love of this Jesus. He was just keeping him at a safe comfortable distance as he kind of checked it out and then you have this woman she was uninvited but came anyway lots of baggage whether the rumors were true or not that's a lot of baggage and hurt and she was broken and knew it by the way that's a great place to be broken but know it and at the feet of Jesus. What scares me is when you're broken, don't know it, and sitting in church. But here she is, right, and she gets down behind this Jesus, and uh, she probably starts standing there, and she's weeping and just overcome with who he is. And she, His attention maybe was elsewhere, because he's looking away from her, and, at some point she like kneels down and is like imagined from behind grabbing grasping at the ankles of Jesus maybe like a kid who's clinging on to a parent who they just don't want to leave the house that day and she's crying tears as she's overcome with Jesus and his love and she's out of the love in her heart she's crying just broken but in a good space just hurt and tired and exhausted, but she's finally here with this one she has heard so much about, the Savior of the world. She has God in her grasp. And she's crying. It doesn't matter who she was or what she did. It doesn't matter what others said about her or how many boxes she had checked off or whether she was religious or not or a good person or not. It didn't matter. All that mattered was that she was here in this defining moment, holding on to the ankles of Jesus and crying all over his feet. She like sees his feet and the tears and she uses her hair and washes his feet and then anoints his feet with this beautiful perfume that she brought, such a sign of love and respect, a gift, and maybe the best of what she had, maybe even all of what she really had, And the picture here is of two people. One may be motivated by religion and church and another motivated by the incredible love of Jesus. And one defining moment where her life would be forever changed because she experienced the love of God right then and there. Jesus comes back into John 15 and the rest of the passage, it sums it up. It kind of is like, my love is the best. <laughs> it's what it is. I call you my friends. I, 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 there's no greater love than this, he says, that, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And by the way, did you hear me mention it before? You're my friend. So prophetic, pointing to the cross where he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were the woman with the rep and the man with the rep, he died on that cross for us. It was his love that motivated him. It's his love that stops him. It's his love that he wants to pour onto us. It's his love that sent him to a cross for us it's his love that is the most beautiful the most transformative thing that you ever could possibly experience it and without it we're just playing church the invitation is to get to know to bask in to rest to remain to abide in the absolutely crazy and beautiful love that Jesus has for you It's yours you can experience it. He goes on and he's like, just to wrap it up because we're out of time. My love is the greatest. <laughs> That's why I call you friends. That's why I'll go to a cross to die for you. My love is the greatest. You will never experience a love like this. You'll not find it in the arms of another. The best love you can ever experience of it is only a shadow or a dim reflection of the incredible love that that has birthed out of. There ain't nothing that can come close to how much God loves you. It's the greatest. And the fruit from understanding that, Jesus says, will last and the only direction he gives is a new command. Love each other the way I've loved you. Pass it on. It's such a beautiful thing when we slow down and we stop doing, stop overthinking everything and analyzing everything and getting our identity twisted up and everything and letting other People define who we are with the words they say and listening to all the messages that are thrown at us, telling us who we are or who we aren't, all the confusing junk that we have to deal with these days. It's so refreshing and good to just know the love of God, to stop and abide in it for a second, and to say no matter what, The God of the universe who knows me completely loves me perfectly. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We can't earn it, but here you lavish your love upon us. Such a beautiful, crazy mystery that... Man, we probably won't really fully experience or know until we're in your presence in heaven. But we can taste it now. Probably people that still think maybe this love isn't for them. Did you just break through that nonsense they're hanging on to? No matter who we are, no matter how broken, No matter how prideful, you love us so much. There's nothing to do. So for these next two songs, we're just going to sit in it. We're just going to think about it. Maybe even a few of us will sing about it. And all we can really say is just thank you. Thank you for loving somebody like me. In Jesus' name, amen.